but part of a series of our anchored faith, why it is that we stay in our faith and why it is that we stay in ministry and why we continue to be a part of a church community. And one of the cool things that Jairus shared about last week was around the value and importance of community. And I want that to be, I guess, a foundation for this week and each week we will build upon each other's reasoning. So I want to share with you some of my story today. And while I'm, you know, I'll often tell you a bit of stories in my life, I'm probably going to tell you a little bit more today than I have previously. Apology? Apologies? This isn't about me. (laughs) But it's my way of sharing with you the reasons why I stay in my faith, the reasons why I stay part of a church community, and the reasons why I stay in ministry. But there's three things I want you to know about me first. The first one is that I come from a very messy and broken home. Some pretty traumatic events happened and our family ended up, lots of traumatic events, but you know, we're all kind of which way, blended, mixed family with all kinds of heartache and pain. It meant that I was, let's just say I wasn't the most treasured or wanted kid in the youth group at church or at the Christian schools I attended. Uh, And I experienced consistent rejection from Christians around me. I was at a Christian school at a time when a lot of things went down and it became pretty clear to me that I wasn't wanted there. And while the church we had at that time was supportive around us, when we moved later on, I I was part of different churches and part of a different Christian school where where I really wasn't welcome and I wasn't wanted. And I had parents tell their kids not to be friends with me. It It was pretty hard. But the other thing you should know about me is that I value connection deeply. I, I love to be connected with people. It's my number one hope in life is to, to have genuine connections with the people that I meet. I want connection with animals. I, I love animals. I find an insect and I want to bond with it. I found a crab in here after the floods and I tried to become its friend. Not even joking. <laughs> and I really value community. I value being a part of something that is bigger than myself to be to have purpose and meaning in what I do. The other the third thing you should know about me is that I love fruit. It is my go-to snack. Lychees, grapes, imperial mandarins. I'm a little bit picky, but I, I love fruit. You know, watermelon, can't have mango because I'm a little bit allergic. Uh, dragon fruit. Have you guys had dragon fruit? It is amazing. And there's a dragon fruit smoothie that you put it with banana and mango. That mango I can have. And it is just... Uh, the absolute best thing. Part of why I love cans. I love fruit. I tell you these things to make a few points across this story. So you need to remember those three things. The thing that I discovered in being rejected by the church community is that I began to find places where I was accepted. Places where I was loved. Places where people didn't tell me to not tell my story to people because, you know, we don't talk about that here. I found places where where friends wanted, where parents wanted me to be friends with their kid. I even found a boyfriend whose mum was thrilled I was dating her son. That had never happened before. And all of this took place in environments outside of the church and Christian community. I'd go to church camps and was never, ever the one picked to do anything. I remember one year working so hard to try and, like, serve and help and put my hand up to to do all the things and cleaning up after stuff and then felt disappointed when it was never even recognized or acknowledged but then later on found bosses who saw worth in me and invested in me and of course they, they weren't Christian. So the more that this happened the more I turned to other places for a sense of hope and purpose. 
And the more I disconnected from things of God and faith, Christianity, the more I started to challenge the tricky things in the Bible. And I eventually became highly critical of Christians. And my conclusion was, well, if this is what becomes of people who come to church, then I don't want any part of that. There can't be anything real in that. I don't tell you this story for pity, and I don't tell you it for judgment. But it sets the scene of how God's light can triumph in messy times. And it tells the story how God has redeemed a pot full of weeds and has turned it into a growing fruit tree planted. This is a story that I hope will strengthen the anchors that you have for your faith and perhaps help you find some new ones that will help you to stay firm when times get tough and when people get tricky. So let me share with you what I discovered. And the first thing is this. We all need God. I knew that the Bible said things like, Love is patient and kind. It is not boastful or proud. It is not rude. And love does not demand its own way. I'd heard this so many times before. And I was raised with an emphasis on the Bible's teachings about putting other people's needs before our own. Knowing verses like, In humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. But I found these things to be lacking in life and impossible in practice. But I started to see something real in God's love in my early 20s, while my sister was at Bible college. I experienced her love and that of the session mate she was with. So with a softening of my heart, I decided to go to a church on a Sunday night, one that I went to as a teen, one that I wasn't treated so well at. And I found there this guy that had been pretty mean to me as a teenager, be really genuinely nice and kind. And there was a girl who had never met me before who stayed with me through the whole night and talked to me and kept me included in conversation and made me feel like I was welcome. And so after that evening at church, I decided to pull out my old Bible, which was literally in a box of things of, you know, the stuff that you never touch but you can't quite get rid of. So I pulled the Bible out of that box, and during that time I read, among other things, this verse. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And I realized that each person, myself included, was on a journey through life. And all of those negative things I had experienced were not of God. These were not things that God had done to me. But this was instead the actions of many people who, like me, were on a journey trying to figure out and grow and learn and discover and become who we are meant to be. So when I look back and I see that people saw me and judged me for the choices that I made and for the clothes that I wore and for the people that I dated, but I looked back at them and saw pride and impatience and self-righteousness. But not my past life choices nor people's past attitudes can stop us from meeting Jesus or needing Jesus. But these things are the evidence that we need him so much more and that we need the Holy Spirit in a meaningful and real way. It wasn't a matter of us and me, them and me. It's all of us together at different points along our journey, all struggling, all blind to some of our own weaknesses and all sometimes a little bit arrogant in the way we view others. All of us at times fall into this. But Christians, we, we are not God. God is, God is not us. 
And I realized that being a Christian was just a word for the collective group of people who at some point in their life realized that they are a sinful person and that they need God. The person who walks into church for the very first time with alcohol on their breath and smoke smells on their hands, who has just spent the entire night gambling away their money in hopes to buy some love, needs Jesus the same amount in the same way as any one of us here who have been going to church for every single Sunday and reading their Bible every day or standing up at this place. We all need Jesus, all the same. So this point about my anchor is really about reeling in an anchor that's attached to people, trying to find my hope in people, and rather placing that anchor where it belongs with God, with who God is and who God calls us to be. So basically, I just realized that Christians are not the exception to the rule that people are generally jerks. But the life that God is calling us to live is not just not be a jerk, but to grow and become a tree that brings fruit. We all need Jesus, and we all have so much more capacity for growth than we could ever imagine. My second anchor for faith is simple enough to say, and for many people, pretty simple to believe. But the reality of it can be quite a challenge, and that God is real. What this means is that there's an existence of a divine being, one who set this world into motion, who desires a relationship with all of creation, including you, and has done the extreme to reach out to you. On this evening at church, after those many, many years, I found five pieces of evidence for God's existence and for God's desire for relationship with me. The first two, you know, could probably be explained a bit by behavioral sciences or physiology, but still point to something greater and bigger than ourselves. But the further points after that, well, that's, that's totally of God. So the first thing is the transformation. It's what I mentioned earlier of my sister and what I saw in people, but the transformation that occurs when people follow Jesus. When people were living in the spirit, they find healing, growth, maturity, They become not different people, but they become the fullness of who they are meant to be, healed without the wounds that go on to hurt others. The second bit of evidence I felt was that tug in my heart as the songs were sung. Now, I I don't know what songs we sang that night at church. I have no idea what was preached about. Couldn't, Couldn't tell you. But I know that there was a burning feeling going on in my heart as I stood in church and as we were singing. And looking back, it reminds me of the story of the two men who were walking on the road to Emmaus. And they asked each other, weren't our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the experience of the presence of God, when we feel his presence in our heart. The third bit of evidence I found that night, it's a big one. It's a big miraculous one. I had a conversation with God. It wasn't audible. It wasn't visible. But it was distinctly miraculous. So I had this Bible that I'd opened up from the box and I took it out and started to read. And I find myself having a two-way conversation where I debated and questioned and each time I would read the next thing and it would answer that question or refuse my, refute my point. And God led me on a journey for me to rediscover who he is and who he calls us all to be. And as I was reading, I reached this point And I heard these words. 
As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvellous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, At just the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. To pass this conversation, I felt conviction. This was my fourth piece of evidence. I cried a lot that night, and my life began to heal as I started on this shared journey of growing in my walk with Jesus. But every person's experience is different. The way that those conversations take place, the points that lead us each to conviction or to those decisions at each moment when we have to choose whether to follow and obey or to not follow or disobey. But this is the fifth bit of evidence that I discovered, is that God spoke my language. Like, yes, that's English, and God will speak Arabic or Swahili or Persian, but what I mean is specifically he spoke the language of my heart. See, my two problems with Christianity was the people and the Bible. But that, God, that day God showed me that, yes, people are the problem, and that's the point. But God used people. He used the kindness and love of people to reach out and draw me back into relationship. He took the very thing that had been her initially and made that whole again and showed me what it can be. The girl that chatted with me that night, she's still one of my closest friends 15 years later. This was one of the greatest gifts God gave me to heal that wound in my heart that I experienced from that earlier rejection. So as well as using that point of connection, God used the Bible to speak to me. The Bible that I thought I knew so well. The Bible that I had refuted and debated with it so many times. And he used these words to reveal the truth to me. And even with continuing points of debate among the churches around interpretation, translation, sources and context, we know that it contains the very words that God has spoken, written in the language so that we can know their meaning. They tell the stories of what God has done on this earth, of the miracles that have been performed. It tells the story of the interwoven battle between the God's light and the darkness around. It tells the story of Jesus coming to earth with the fullness of God that we might be saved and redeemed. Because of this, the Bible is such a powerful tool. It is not just spirit-filled information, but it contains within it that possibility of a conversation with God. It is the source of communication between the creator of this world and all of humankind throughout all generations. My anchor when storms come is to remember these five things. These things that confirm God's presence with me. It reminds me to come to God with a sincere heart when life gets tough. There's probably even a few people in a room, in this room, that can attest to the fact that in the middle of a conflict, I will sometimes walk away and go and pray before coming back in. I don't think it's any coincidence that the answers that God gives us lead us to a greater faithfulness in community. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, These are the words that help us build a healthy community together. To lay aside our pride, to lay aside our judgment, to lay aside our own needs, that we may be considerate, 
and, submit and sincere and peace-loving within our community. And when our anchor is planted in the knowledge of God, we are led to faithfulness in this community. It leads us to stay when things get tough. My next anchor is this. I have a purpose. At the time of my miraculous conversation with God, I was working in retail management and working through a business degree. I had a plan for my life. I was clear about it. I was determined in it. But after I met God that night, and over the coming months, my life started to change. My heart started to want different things, and I stopped being interested in studying business. And I stopped caring about profits or trying to earn the respect of my, of my uh, workplace. I started to dream and think about the possibility of life in ministry. I was a pretty new Christian at that point, but yet there was this hope or this idea planted in my heart. But see, at the same time, I'd also developed a crush on a guy who was in line, like, in, you know, about to go into ministry studies. So it was a little bit hard to tell. Was it ministry I was chasing, or was it the crush? Now, classically, this was the same story, the same guy that was mean to me as a teenager and was nice to me on that night. But I had to try and, like, work out, you know, which, which is this, God? And every single morning, I was waking up, praying and asking God, what am, what am I supposed to do? Is, is ministry the path for me? Can you, can you give me a sign? And I remembered the words from one of my favourite 90s movies, Sister Act 2. And Mary Clarence says, If you wake up in the morning and you can't think about anything but singing, then you're meant to be a singer, girl. Well, as a kid, I used to always keep trying to remember what I thought about in the morning, and I never could. But then I realised, this is it. This is what I've been thinking about every single morning for months now. This is what I've been praying about in all of my moments, is God, give me a sign. Is this where you want me to be? And so right as I was starting to feel like this, this was it, this guy asked me out to dinner. So I was like, oh, this is my sign. I was pretty excited. <laughs> Let's just say it wasn't a sign. <laughs> I was so weird and awkward. <laughs> and the poor guy couldn't wait to end that dinner. And there was definitely no follow-up. But after the meal, I got in my car and I burst into tears in complete humiliation because <laughs> I, I was really weird and awkward. Um, and I was like, but God, I thought this was the path. I thought this is what you wanted for me. And so I decided to drive to this cliff face that was beautiful and demand an answer from God. And so I sat there with my Bible, with the wind blowing and waiting for God to leave me with a word that told me, yes, Kate, this is what you're meant to do. An hour later, nothing was happening and I gave up and got in my car and started driving. And a minute later, I heard the words clearly in my mind, Timothy 4. I was like, wait, what? Now, this was a loud and clear words that, not, not audibly, but in all the jamble of my thinking, it was distinct, it was different, it was above my rambling mind. And so I pulled over and grabbed out my Bible, and I looked up, well, 1 Timothy 4 to start with, and these words stood out. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to preaching and to teaching. My heart was overwhelmed. But, just to be sure, I had to turn to the second book of Timothy, chapter 4, because it could have said something like women should be quiet. So I needed to just, like, you know, balance up these messages, make sure that this was truly what God was telling me. And this is what I read. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who would judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, 
I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So four years later, I entered training college to become a minister. And I'd like to say the rest was amazing and life was great and fruit was produced. (laughs) But I'm here and not where I was, so clearly it didn't quite go (laughs) as I thought it would. But what happened next was a number of moves, and I'd moved around a fair bit in my life already. And because of that, I felt assured in this last anchor. And that is this. I stay for the fruit, both metaphorically and physically. If there's fruit on the table, I'll stay and have some fruit. But I stay in ministry, I stay in churches, and I stay in faith because of the fruit that faith in God produces. I see people who have been through some similar life journeys to me. And I I see where those stories have often ended up. And I knew that I wanted something different. But I'd kept moving about, and it just kind of felt like, you know, you'd, you'd get somewhere and you'd start to grow and figure things out, and then you'd go somewhere else. And it was just this constant, like, constant reshuffle of climbing a ladder and falling and climbing a ladder. And nothing was really growing, and fruit wasn't really happening, at least not the stuff that really lasts See, I understood the metaphor of Psalm chapter 1 as a metaphor for our relationship with God and how we're planted in him. And it said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. But beyond the metaphor is this. See, last year I moved into my own place and I decided to plant into the ground one of my peace lilies. I had two around the same size and this is the result. One that has been in the ground, nice, big, flourishing and the one that is in a pot is beautiful and is a beautiful pot which was a gift to me and I love it but the plant itself, it's still pretty little. Like a tree, like a plant, we grow when we are planted, when we are still, when we are somewhere where we can flourish. Sometimes it's true the ground around us becomes dangerous and there needs to be movement. But the more we move, the more we live like plants in a pot. Their size will always be limited. Their ability to produce fruit will always be limited. And often the longer we stay in a pot, the thicker the walls around us become as we move from place to place. To be planted in the ground is to risk the elements. But it is the only true way to grow to be all that we are meant to be, to produce the amazing fruits that come by life lived in the spirit. I remember learning that it takes five to seven years in leadership, in any role, in ministry or in business, five to seven years to often reach the success that one longs for. But in an impatient society, we move about so often when things aren't seeming to work the way we hope. Now, this is a point I wish I could spend so much more time on. But it's something that has been on my mind for quite some time, is the value of being planted, to weather the storms together, to grow in one place, that we may reach the fullness of what God has in store for us. These are my anchors. And I want you to know them 
is so that perhaps if there are things that you are have not yet found or you have not found your own anchors, that you may have some, that you may experience the joy and hope that comes from a life lived when we are planted in Christ. We need God in our lives, each and every one of us. There is no exceptions. Some of you, all of you, pretty amazing. But there's no exceptions. As amazing as each of you are, as gifted as each of you are, as talented, as capable, as mature as each of you are, as kind and compassionate, we all still need God. And we need to know that God is real, not just as an idea, but real in our life. To experience the transformation, to be okay with the change that comes when we grow. To experience his presence, to allow God's spirit to burn in our hearts. To have conversations with God. To feel that conviction, to let yourself be convicted, to be challenged. And to listen so that you may hear him speak to you because he will speak to you in your language, in the language of your heart. As we take hold of our purpose and as we stay planted, as we use our strengths and talents for God's kingdom, we will experience a life in fullness that God has offered us. But this isn't a life without trial or trouble. This isn't a life without storms. But this is a life where we can produce fruit, and fruit is yummy. It makes a bad day suddenly seem not so bad. It brings people together. It's healthy. It gives us nutrients. It grows into our life, but the coolest thing about fruit is the fact that it has seeds. And those seeds are not intended for the tree. Those seeds are intended to be shared. So in all that God gives in our life, in all that we find in our purpose, in all that we believe of how God is real among us, know this, that our purpose, our ultimate purpose in our relationship with Jesus is to produce fruit that is given to others. So this is why I stay. I stay for all of those reasons, but ultimately, I stay for the fruit. We actually have fruit for morning tea today. And so I want to encourage you, not, not just as a, like, ha you should stay and have some fruit. I want to really encourage you to stay and have some fruit. Have the physical fruit but have the fruit that is planted and is grown when we share in community with one another, when we rub up against people who are a little bit different to us or who have different ideas or who challenge our way of thinking, that we may grow together, that as we are planted as part of this church but also part of the broader church community, that we may grow to become all there is for us to become as we live in Jesus Christ. I want us to pray together and then we'll finish with a song that will remind us that through our storms, this fight is God's fight. It is his battle. And we are to come faithfully to him. But after that, I, I'll remind Bridget now to remind you to stay for the fruit. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, you are so much to us. And while you speak to us in different ways, and we've all come to know you in different ways, you are so very real among us. Lord, you are always speaking to us, always reaching out to us. And you have given us so much, and we praise you and thank you. And Lord, I pray for us, for each and every one among us, that we may be reminded of our ongoing need for you, of our daily journey to follow you, that we may be reminded of how we know that you are real in our life. And Lord, for those among us that may not know this, Lord, I pray that in this moment, in the next moment, in any moment, Lord, they would hear your voice, they would feel your presence. Lord, may we be a church that bears fruit.
not just for ourselves, Lord, but for it that we can share with those around us, that we may share your light and your love to our community, to our neighbours, to this city. Lord, all these things for your glory and your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.